This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so sad. Today we are finishing up our series called For the Love of Calming the Chaos. And as mentioned in essentially every episode, I have loved it. I have loved it. This whole series to me has been soothing and comforting. It's given me this sense of like taking my foot off the gas a little bit prioritizing respite and peace and just none of the things that naturally present themselves to us, right? As adults, that is not our ethos. Our ethos is go, 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 grind, 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 get it all done, be productive. I know that's mine for sure. And so this whole series to me has been very, not just soothing, but instructive. So we've talked a lot about how sometimes chaos comes because not necessarily from choices that we've made or we've onboarded too many things, but because we're in pain, because tragedy or heartache has found its way to our doorstep. And with it comes this just degree of chaos. It's just, it's thrown our routines into chaos or our relationships or even just our internal operating systems. Pain to me is baked in with a degree of chaos because everything is just discombobulated and disoriented and disrupted. And so we wanted to address that somewhere in this series, that chaos isn't simply always a matter of our own creating. But sometimes chaos finds us one way or another, and we still have to figure out how to find calm and peace in it. And so our guest this week brings us the very comforting message that simply bucking up or endlessly cheerleading ourselves into positivity isn't going to cut. Those are band-aids that actually make suffering worse. And so she gives us permission to actively accept our sadness and then some tools for how to process it and move it through from chaos to a place of peace. I loved basically every second of this interview. In fact, I think you'll be able to tell when you listen, like we just sort of went off the beaten path. I was so interested in what she had to say and I was identifying so deeply with every answer. I just 
kept wanting to drill down into some of the ideas she was bringing up. So today on the show, we have Catherine May. She is an international best-selling author. She's a podcaster from the UK. So you might have seen her books, including her latest book, which is called Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age. Okay, hi. And then the book that we're primarily talking about today, which is called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. Either way, don't those sound lovely? She's also written in little old places like the New York Times and the Observer. No big deal. So Catherine's way of looking at things is kind of what, I think it's what we need right now. It's definitely what I need, not just in seasons where we can't wrap our minds around the chaos, but also how to survive the unexpected when life hands us chaos, right? And so this is not just a philosophy she figured out. She got these tools in her toolkit in real life which she is going to share with us really generously today. She talks a lot about her own personal story. So we're going to lean into some hard stuff with Catherine today and figure out what winter means in each of our lives, how to embrace it, how to sit in it, how to eventually emerge from it. And she's going to walk us through not only her own story and what she has learned, but she does it with this sense of, you'll just see, but like a sense of gentleness I finished this interview and I felt myself relaxed in my chair and some of the clutter in my own brain had sort of moved off the table. And so I think you're going to love this. I think you're going to love this conversation and I hope it serves you and I hope it comforts you and I hope it meets you right where you are because we deserve peace, every single one of us. And so without any further ado, here's my conversation with the truly enchanting Catherine May. Catherine, welcome to the For the Love Podcast. I was just telling you that I have been following you for quite a while. And the podcast team and I have just been saying, please, let's get her on the show. Like, <laughs> thank you for saying yes to our request. Oh, absolute pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, me too. So I've already told my listeners just a little bit. I sort of high leveled who you are. And so I've got a two-part intro question. Number one, I would like to hear, kind of in your words, if you would, just tell everybody a little bit about you and where you are in the world and who your people are and kind of what your what your deal is. <laughs> and then the second part of that question is just as important, which is that your bio says that you like to pickle slightly unappealing <laughs> things. I, I need to know more about that. And, and I'm going to explain to you how I feel about pickling, which is universally positive. So, yeah. oh, I mean, yeah. yes. I, yeah. I, it's good to speak to the converted. On the Thank you. Uh, literally, <laughs> literally, Catherine, in my Facebook bio, it's like I write words, I raise some kids, I talk sometimes. I believe pickles are a food group. That's my bio. We are totally aligned on that fact. We're kindred. <laughs> kindred. Okay, so I am a writer and I live by the sea in Whitstable in the UK, which is on the very far southeast tip of the country. I don't have to drive very far and I start getting a French mobile phone signal. That's that's kind of where we are in the country. I am, well, what do I say about myself? I 
love a quiet life. I love walking. I love swimming in the sea. I love spending time with my animals. They're very important to me. I have one son and a husband and I don't go to many parties. That's probably (laughs) all you need to know about me. And I, (laughs) the pickling, the the pickling line is probably time to take it out of my bio really, but it comes from a bit in wintering where I talked about my love of like preserve, like picking things first of all and then preserving them. And there's a bit in wintering where I say that I found myself, I think, looking hungrily at a recipe for pickled ash keys, which are the weird seeds (laughs) that hang off an ash tree. And there's something for me about like getting something in a jar on my shelf that feels deeply comforting and soothing. And I love I love making like ferments as well. Like I love the thing where you massage cabbage for about an hour with salt until it all goes squishy. And that feels just so it's nourishing so and yes. it feels like I'm giving the world this amazing gift of my weird cabbage thing in a jar <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how much I like it I, I do eat it too and I like I do think everything needs a pickle on the side right everything um, needs a pickle on the side <laughs> and, and I, I'll pickle anything I really will like anything. I'll make up a, a brine and just start rummaging around like what can I put in yeah. jars and pour this yeah. over? I've yet to meet its match. Do you also garden? I'm just beginning. So I have, I've long been a really, truly hopeless gardener. But someone told me this year, like, you know, you know, someone tells you a tiny bit of information that shifts everything in your mind. So a few months ago, someone said, who was a really good gardener and really committed gardener said, well, you know that 50% of everything you plant dies, right? And I was like, well, I always thought that made me a bad gardener. And so since then, I'm like fully committed to it, 100% of my being. All we really, <laughs> That's all it took. All we need in this world is for people to come around us and lower the bar. That's really all we need. I mean, at that point, we're set up for success. Listen, so, the pickles don't have to taste good and loads of stuff can die in your garden and both are still fine. Oh, that's so marvelous. I gardened for years <laughs> and that had to have been my definition because I kept doing it. And year after year, I would plant squash because they're so beautiful and they flower so huge and they're just gorgeous. And then every year, overnight, boom, I'd look out, I inspect my plants at night, I go to bed. The next day, they're to the ground with squash bores. Just, and I just thought, Jen, learn a lesson. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't, I can't learn it. I'm going to hope springs eternal. That's right. That's right. But there is something about plucking a piece of vegetable that you grew with your own hands and mind, putting it in a jar with vinegar. I mean, it is just brilliant. (laughs) I I don't, that's it's, that's it's natural end at my house. My granddad was like a great gardener and he had this most amazing vegetable patch that like we grew, grew like everything. And I, like my happiest childhood memories of going down there and like digging up the new potatoes and picking the tomatoes. And I would love to achieve that for myself. Like I, it's, everything tasted 500 times better. Like if you've never had home garden vegetables, you don't know what vegetables actually taste like. It is so true. I can remember, by the way, I love this little intro that we're having. (laughs) We'll get to mental health later. We'll get to (laughs) self-care, but I'm like, but look, one time, I came in from my garden and I had all my like peppers, peppers. I'm in Texas. And so peppers are abundant here in our like brutal heat. heat. Uh, And so all my peppers that were all just still warm from the sun. And in they went right into like a fresh salsa. And I think that might've been the greatest moment of my life. Honestly, I'm trying to think what has topped it. Like (laughs) 
<laughs> it, it just tasted so perfect. And, and that could have been placebo, of course. But no, no, I they mean, do taste better. Don't take that do. away from yourself. They definitely Thank taste you. better. Thank you. There is something about it. Okay, well, I am cheering for your garden. <laughs> okay, so Catherine, I was talking to my listeners about your work and your story. You're really generous with your personal stories, which is special. And I recognize it as a laborer, as a fellow writer. There is a, there's a cost. There's a cost to being that tender and vulnerable and transparent about our own little lives, which are just as ordinary as they can be. And totally so ordinary. Yeah. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah, better or for worse. All, yeah, yeah. That's right. It doesn't have razzle dazzle. It has a lot of sad, sadness and suffering and failure. And so I appreciate in advance that you are willing to, to sort of lead us and guide us through the lens of your own experience. And so I think a lot of us, maybe particularly women, and maybe, I don't know, I don't, this is just a theory. I'd love your take on it. I think maybe also in a extreme way, American women, not sure, don't so much as embrace our sadness as we just try, try to power over it. That is not really rewarded here you know oh my goodness. well I know but also it's risky for you guys I mean the, the sort of lack of a safety net like I I hadn't realized before wintering came out in the U.S. like how much of a safety net we have here compared to to what you have and like if we're sick something will happen to you know make sure we're okay <laughs> you know, that's, that's right. like a fundamental difference and so you're right you have no choice but to to keep powering until you drop and that's that's you're I mean, exactly the, the right. dropping does come that's the problem yeah. it does come you're right our wellness hinges on our privilege where we are on the ladder and then of course has to be maintained by absolute grinding like there isn't a built-in culture of respite and recovery in the American ethos, which is not to say we're the only country who suffers. That's obviously sure, not true. Sure. But as I read your work, I think but there's oh, something man. there for you. Yeah. yeah. We have so Do much you know to what? learn here. Can I, can I tell you something by contrast? I read yeah. an article last week about in Germany, parents are entitled over the course of being parents of, of school age kids to two. God, this is going to make you like cry. To two to, to two respite months when they can their doctor can send them to a spa for a month and provide childcare, <laughs> paid childcare for their children if they need a break. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm hundred percent serious. I mean, we we are nothing near that in the UK. But I I looked at that and I was like, oh my god, how compassionate is that? You know, like those points that we've all reached where we're like, I cannot go any further without killing somebody. I don't know who it's going to be, but like the next person that comes past my gate, I'm going for them, like whoever they are. Wow. That is a beautiful bit of information about how the rest of the world operates. And frankly, of course, this is such a US thing to say, but not only is that compassionate, it's wise because a healthier population is good for everyone. It's good for your GDP. Like sure, it's, yeah. it's good for your work yeah. culture. Like that, that literally has a strong ROI in essentially every silo. So completely. But but actually, I think it's really important to acknowledge because I bet you had the same thing. Like when I read it, I had this like big cocktail of feelings coming up. Like, are they allowed to do that? Is that okay? Well, that just seems absolutely ridiculous. And then it's like, no, 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 no. 
these people have a thing that you don't have and that you can't that feels unproductive to you in a way that's quite frightening like that's I found it quite quite scary almost the thought of it scary so unfamiliar I mean what I cannot wait to look that up when we get off this call and I see kind of what the, the link, kept the link. And I mean, yeah. hell, I should really move. I should have moved to Germany because if it's per kid, I have five kids. So if I got 10 total months. One a year. I mean, you could have like one a year. I really could. Like that would have changed my life. Okay. Yeah. So I wonder if you would be willing to walk us a little bit through your more recent winter season and what that was like for you and what you were facing. I have very recently come through a dark winter. And so this conversation is one that I'm so drawn to and other people's, not just their experience, but their healing and recovery practices. And so can you talk to us a little bit about kind of your recent history? I always call myself an expert winterer because I think it's almost a rhythm through my life of these moments that that come and kind of take me out of mainstream life for a while. So at, at the beginning of wintering, I write about this situation I found myself in, which I, you know, like I think is entirely unexceptional in lots of ways. But I'd reached a point where I knew it was time to leave my job because I was completely burnt out and just couldn't cope any longer. And just as I, I think a couple of days after I handed my notice in, my husband fell suddenly very ill with a serious appendicitis that he, it took him a long time to recover from. That was terrifying. That was a moment of, oh God, like everything could fall through for me. You know, I was literally, you know, I was ringing the hospital till midnight to see if they'd actually put him into surgery and I, I figured that if I pestered them, they'd take more action. Sure. Like I was totally going for the annoyance strategy. But while I was doing that, I was thinking, like, if he died, I would have nothing. Like, I, I've got nothing to fall back on, you know. And that was, it was like mortality visiting us, but also that financial and, and sort of, you know, I don't know, survival terror that that hits you, I think, as you get older of, of how badly things can go wrong. And then as I was visiting him in hospital, I started getting abdominal pain. And first of all, I thought it was some sort of sympathetic symptom, you know, but then I fell really ill and it took a long time for me to recover and I couldn't go to work. So while I was supposed to be working out my notice on my job, I was actually off sick. And a lot of wintering happens in that moment for me of uh, not just the kind of worry but the paranoia and and the fear and all of the other kind of complex emotions that rose up and that terror of how other people see you in that situation too like did did my colleagues think I was like skipping off work because I didn't have much you know like all of that stuff came up for me and then just as we were beginning to feel like we're back on our feet we had to pull our son out of school because he'd stopped coping with with his schooling so can you talk a little bit more about that so many of us are also navigating part of our winter has to do with our kids I I mean I I think so many winters are to do with our kids yes they are yes they do it's a big unacknowledged thing and it you know and as you as you've rightly said there like it's quite difficult for us to talk about it because we're careful with our kids privacy as well but I think it's so important to externalize it yeah I mean it was just really clear that he was so 
so so stressed by school and was you know just in pieces every night and every morning it was very hard to get him in and like after a little while of it as a fact you know we'd gone to the school for help and all this kind of thing and they were not interested in being helpful and after a little while as a as a family we just we realized we just couldn't endure this anymore of course that is so stressful in the on the home it was impossible like it was like all of life was impossible but also like I didn't feel like I could keep ignoring his feelings like he was telling me how he felt and he was telling me exactly what he needed and I really didn't want to become a home homeschooler but like we just had we had to because because the alternative which was what everybody advised us to do was basically tell him to shut up and put up with it and to go to school anyway and it it really struck me in that much and you know like a lot of me wanted to do that if I'm completely honest like I wanted him to go to school so I could do my work like of course but but there was this revelation for me I think that came very suddenly of if I teach him this now, I'm teaching it to him for the rest of his mm. life, that this is the oh, pattern that, was so that wise. you fall into. Like if mm-hmm. you are having intense feelings of resistance to a system and actually it, we only found out after we'd pulled him out of school that he was being really bullied by another child and he didn't have the, he was so young, like he didn't have the capacity to tell us about it. And it was in the end, it was another parent that told us about it, that she'd observed it. And it all kind of came out from there. But he'd felt unable to talk about it or to explain it. And he was he was rising up. And, and like, actually, to me, that's what I want him to do. Like, that's what I want to teach him, that it's not OK to be bullied. So we 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 decided to do that. And he, he is actually like a lot of people ask. He, he's back in school now very happily mm-hmm. in another yeah. school. Yeah, because, you know, like we heard so much doom from people like you're never getting back into school again. Like, he'll, you know, he'll never, sure. he'll never fit in again. He'll blur. Actually, he, he had like, a, I don't know, nine months out of school. It was hard for us to manage, but he settled and he learned to trust us again because actually his distress at school had really broken down the trust that he should have felt in us all along. And he went really happily back to school and has been happy ever since. Lovely. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. So there you were, both you and your husband recovering physically. That's very disorienting when you're 
recovery process is physical. That is, this is the bodies that we just count on to do what they do. And then you're, of course, having to circle around your son. So we're going to talk about the practices that you use to sort of heal, really. But I would love if you would talk for just a moment more about, because I know that place so, so, so very well. And I know my listeners do too, because suffering is just, it's ubiquitous. I mean, we can swap out the details. It's so normal. Yeah. It's so normal. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, which was a collective suffering, of course, that Mm -hmm. none of us have ever experienced, unprecedented. I lost my 26 year marriage and (sighs) to shock, like wasn't something that I thought uh, we're losing, you know, it was uh, an overnight loss. It was the darkest winter, deep winter. winter. And so I also found and discovered and worked really hard on the healing practices, but I would love for you to talk for just one more minute about what it feels like right there when it's just the dark night and the sun is not rising yet. And the spring is not dawning yet because that place can feel really lonely and it can feel really scary. Very despairing. And like, for me, one of the defining parts of it is that feeling of being trapped in a space with like a window onto the outside world almost. And it seems like everybody else is carrying on and they're all fine and you are uniquely not fine. Gosh, yes. And like you can't, like suddenly the pace of the world has changed and, and you're not part of that pace. And you're, you're like looking at, at everything else happening and thinking, I'm something else at the moment. I'm other to this. And then there's that feeling of total isolation that comes with that, that that sense that you are incomprehensible to other people and you cannot access their their way of thinking or their world. And of course, like that leads you to feel like you're never going to be okay again and everything's screwed forever. And that's it now. You've, You've royally like ruined everything and it's over. That's right. I remember telling my sisters and my my parents, I was like, and I meant it at the time because it's such a dark night, but I was like, I'll never be happy again. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. I thought that's it. This is what I have now. I have this level of sadness. It cannot be fixed. It cannot be healed. I'll never emerge back into this world that y'all live in. Which it's is your world true. now, not mine. Like that's I live right. in some kind of dark pit somewhere. That's that right. Is, yeah. yeah. It's not actually true. We do heal and we do recover and it's a beautiful, like I know it and it, but it's really good to know it. It's good to know it in my bones. And you discovered it too. I discovered it too. And I, the weird thing I suppose about that winter was by that time I'd been so through so many others that I actually trusted it. it. And I knew it. And I knew that it has a kind of a narrative arc, if you like. And I also knew that you can't rush it. That's, I think that's one of the very hard things for, for, you know, our societies to grasp is that here is a process of healing and it is healing and it's also a process of change, you know, and those things will take a certain amount of time, whatever you do, like you are not doing anything wrong if you're still suffering a week later or a month later or six months later, you are completely unlearning your own old ways of life and relearning new ones. And that's painful. That is painful on so many levels. It's 
physically agonizing, it's mentally agonizing. And tragically, there is nothing much that will alleviate that or, to, or prevent it or take it away. But, <laughs> but if you can lean into that space and accept it rather than fight it, you will spare yourself a lot of pain. You are so right. Like, the resistance, you know, the resistance is the worst bit. Yeah. The worst bit. Yep. Yep. Totally. Which is counterintuitive. The resistance feels like it will be the only approach. I've to got to fight my way That's through right. this. That's yeah. right. Or this will this will be a, the way that I have a little bit of relief or comfort by avoiding or denying whatever it is that hurts so badly. But it, the truth is, it, it makes it worse. It's a double down. There will be people around you who don't think you're fighting hard enough. Incidentally, mm. that's a oh, really important yeah. thing to say because that is. We are so indoctrinated in this idea that everything is about our control and our fighting and our struggle that when we see other people suffering, we don't go, oh, God, they're suffering. How can I help them? We go, oh, well, they're probably not doing all the right stuff. They probably caused this in the first place. And and now they're not, you know, they're not picking themselves up. Like I can't I can't deal with them if they're not going to pick themselves up. 100%. This idea that pain is very immediately a problem to be fixed is a really hard one to overcome. And we are just not innately good at sitting in sorrow and experiencing it and letting it move through us or anybody else around us. I I may be worse at letting other people suffer than I am at letting my own self suffer. It's so hard. And we all want to just give them that thing that that does it for them. That's right. I remember a few years ago talking to a friend who'd suffered a, a terrible miscarriage and she was devastated. And I remember thinking like, I wanted to almost buy her grief off her, you know, like I, I wished I could ex- like enter into an exchange that took, I just wanted to take it away from her. And I was talking to a friend who'd also suffered miscarriage and I said like, what can I do to remove it from her? And she was like, you can't this is hers don't you dare take that away from her like this is this is really important to her that she goes through this and I like I learned a big lesson on that that day about you know about how well-meaning my instinct was for sure (laughs) but also actually that process was really necessary to her too and she needed the fullness of it and she needed me to just walk with her while she went through the fullness of it rather than trying to speed it up for her and you and I both know at this point, I mean, I'm almost 50. So I've had more than one winter, obviously, uh-huh. as well. <laughs> We've had plenty. Who are these people who've avoided a few by, by I don't know age? any. Where <laughs> are know they? Any. <laughs> but it is true. And I hate this system. I truly hate this. But the grief, it comes with some gifts baked into it. It does. It comes with some invitations for possibility for growth for some sort of a deepening of the spirit to become a little bit more awake in your own life i just i want all those lessons to come from happiness but unfortunately they but you don't they get often that, come sorry. from sorrow <laughs> yeah they come from sorrow yeah. yes i mean i like there's something about how raw you are in that in that time that there are moments of like intense beauty that are an integral part of this integral part of the suffering. And there are moments of like 
deep human contact that are unimaginable at other times of life. And, you know, yeah, that I find myself profoundly open to beauty at those times, to like the beauty of music, to how incredibly moving a sunrise can be, or, you know, like that, that kind of feeling, to just tiny gestures that help you along with their kindness or their insight. It's a special time. And one thing I know is that people who've gone through kind of major winters always seem to look back and say, do you know what? I'm like, I wouldn't have not gone through it if it didn't mean that I couldn't be who I am now. Like you you almost appreciate them because the change is always necessary. That's right. And there's something about a winter that's clarifying in that it gives us clear eyes to even look at our own patterns or behaviors or responses or rhythms that are not serving us anymore. And for some reason, those are complacent in the light of day, you know, just those are sort of sleepy and they sort of fade into the background, but in the winter, they become really clear. Like they do like this response is not serving you. And so I usually emerge from a winter season too personally sort of affected in a way that I got a chance to examine some of my own internal stuff in a way that I couldn't really see in the summer. When a winter visits you, it kicks down walls until the space is there for you to make that change. And you don't want to make that when the times are good. Like you don't want that to be there. I mean, I I find myself saying to people a lot, like, you know, some of your reflections might be negative about you. Like wintering isn't all about, oh, other people have wronged me. Big winters often come when we're like sitting there thinking, I have not behaved well. You, you know, are and that's, so right. There's so little in our culture that ever acknowledges that sometimes we're not the ones <laughs> in the right. But if we don't do that, we don't grow and we get into patterns of behavior that can be so destructive. And I like, I think it's really sacred to make space for acknowledging the bits that you've done wrong really the the bit where you behave badly and to heal those because they need healing rather than correcting and and to then you know it may some winters end with an apology frankly that's right they do they do and that is a really powerful space to find yourself in and again i that is a place where i think in general human instinct is to resist it just it's it's hard to admit of course it's, i mean it's, it's horrible so isn't hard. it it's horrible. oh it's hard to admit we just were terrible or that we chose poorly or we hurt someone or it's a really hard place to sit in the pocket of but oh man I don't know if I've ever had a more empowering feeling than absolutely owning my own crash and sitting in front of (laughs) somebody and saying, I am so sorry. And is there Mm. any way you can forgive me? Oh, that clears the air. I want to talk about some of the other practices that you discovered personally, which I love. I love this because so much healing is really available to all of us. It's not contingent on how much privilege we necessarily have or where we live, like we have some practices available to us. And so you talked a lot about nature and how that was a piece of your story. I'd love to hear more about ice swimming. I'm Texan. <laughs> I I don't, I don't know, but I want to hear you talk about it. And I just, 
it is it is known quantity that the mm. natural world is a place of healing. Yeah, it is to sort of track forward to to my new book. While we're talking about this, like one of the watchwords for me while I was writing Enchantment was I wanted all of the things I did to be sort of democratic, like to be accessible to anyone. Like I was, I got really into the idea that in order to like find beauty in nature or healing in nature, I wasn't going to write about going to like grand places, like climbing a mountain, like which people might not be able to do or might be able, not be able to afford to do. But that instead I was going to write about what happens like within a you know few metres radius from your front door, like that that became so important to me because I do, I think that some of our conversations about healing end up always like end up like, well, here's the stuff you need to pay for in order to do this now. Of course. And that's, that's not not only impossible for some people, but also we let that be a barrier to us undertaking the work because we're like, oh, well, healing's for other people. I can't do this. And it's like, no, 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 no. Right. That's so anyway, that's, that's like the perspective I tend to write from. Yeah, so in wintering, I started swimming in the sea in the winter, which I'd always wanted to do. And it was cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think people Wait, think that can you like, I don't back find it one, cold. Walk yeah. back just one, one step back. What made you want to do that? Like, <laughs> why, would, why did you reach for that? Because you could have just taken a walk on a path in dry clothes. You know what I mean? Like you could have been like, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to experience nature by looking at the sky. But you plunged into icy water. Like, can you tell me more about what was intriguing you (laughs) about this? Okay. I, I mean, I've always been so pulled to the sea. And when I moved here to Whitstable, like I moved here in the middle of a complete mental health crisis because I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't go on any longer. And one of the things that I told myself at that point was that I would swim all the year round. Like that was, that was my ambition. And I'd read that in Iris Murdoch's novel, The Sea, The Sea, where the protagonist swims all the year round. I was like, that's really this. cool. I'm going to yes. do that. Yes. Did I do that? No, I did not. No. Okay. I, <laughs> I did what everyone else did and waited till the nice warm days and then swam in the lovely warm sea. But I, but every year, like it would cut, winter would come around and I'd be like, oh, I really want to do that. Oh, no, 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 next year, next year. And then this, this year, it just happened that a friend of mine had also been thinking about it. And we had a conversation and she was like, right, we're going to do this. And for me, I don't know about you, but some of my most wonderful moments have been from going along with somebody else's will that is greater it's than so mine. True. Just, That's so great. Giving in and going, yes yes all right I'm gonna come and do that and she'd just done it a couple of times before I'd done it and so there was that little bit of leadership there just tiny that she had already developed the trust that you don't die when you get in the water because I think that was I genuinely thought I might literally just freeze to death on the spot yep (laughs) yeah and actually you do because the first time you go I mean every time you get into cold water for the first like 30 seconds it's really hard to inhale because all your muscles go And so you learn quite quickly to take a breath in before you submerge and let it out because that's the way your body wants to do it. If you if you go in with no breath and you try and breathe in, you're like, oh, God, this is I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then finally, like everything works again. (laughs) But I I let her carry me along. And then it really quickly became a call and response of like encouraging each other. 
but also helping each other to find boundaries and limits around it, because that's it's not a space that you can get competitive in. It's not safe to do that in freezing cold water. And I think we both also guide each other in saying, the sea's too choppy today. Let's not get in. Like, let's have permission. Let's go and have a hot chocolate instead. Or that's plenty of time for me. I don't know about you, but I'm getting, you know, like that, that, that call and response worked in both directions. And it, it really helped to have a companion. So what, if, if you can describe it, what effect has that had on both your body and your mind? So when I'm in the water, when I'm in the cold water, I, and it's well well established that it releases the same hormones as taking ecstasy. So you feel this immediate but very gentle high, and it feels like bubbly and effervescent. And we always say that when we're swimming together, everything just pours out like it's like a blur kind of situation. Like the whatever you're holding in will be like. Blah, 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 blah. And we would swim for like 10 minutes a few times a week, but we would talk so deeply in that time. Like there were, we would hit stuff that we would never have said to each other. And it so it felt therapeutic, but joyfully so. And I, I think also that the bodily effect was that like I learned to really trust my body. Like I, I've never been very athletic. I, I don't see myself as a particularly fit person. But my body could do this. And it was like proving resilience back to myself. And, I, and it was like a really wonderful thing to, to see how quickly my body adapted and how within a week I could withstand 10 minutes when the first time I ran out after 30 seconds. My body just got used to it really, really, really quickly. And, and it felt so good. And, and the, the relaxation afterwards would just carry on for ages, this sense of deep peace. And often, like, so much that I wanted to sleep, like, it was that real, like, dampening down of everything. And sometimes you really need that. That's right. You do. I, the link between mental wellness and some sort of, like, physical experience, and that doesn't have to be an hour in the gym. No, No, it doesn't have to be called swimming. (laughs) Like, the, the, the category is so broad. Yeah. But the link is a little undeniable. stroll around the block. You stroll know? around the block. That's right. Like that'll do it. The data there is unambiguous. This matters. Like our bodies in motion and in environments like that have a profound effect on the way that we feel. And anybody can do that. That's not a privilege-based opportunity. Anybody can go outside and walk up and down the street. And I think the thing is, like. You, you do the thing that you choose to do. I, I totally get it that not everyone would want to get into cold water, like, fine, you know, <laughs> like, I'm really fine with that. But there there will be something that you can do that will, and, and like, engaging your body soothes your nervous system. And, you know, one of the things that I quite often do if I'm stressed is I sit on the beach and run my hands through the pebbles and that is like any anyone can do that. Like buy yourself a bucket of gravel. That's right. <laughs> it will it will help. It will yes, definitely help. It will. It really will. I want to talk a little bit about another really practice, which is the practice of retreat and rest. Ooh, I mean, this is um this is a choice that we have to decide to make. And it is 
it really can soothe the chaos inside of us. And so I would like to hear you talk about how that was showed up in your life. And then what would you say to the people who say that one is hard for me to have because of just the stage of life I'm in or what, what I'm doing right now, like rest and retreat is harder to activate. And so can you talk us through sort of that yeah. particular approach? Yeah, because actually, like, it's really hard at, at my point in life as well. Like, I'm I'm in that space at the moment where I can't go away for, like, weeks on end and not answer the phone. You know, like, it's, that's not, that would not be okay for my family, but it's still important. And I think, you know, I look forward to the days when I can go off for a fortnight silent retreat in a mountain and then come back all sparkly. But right now... I still value the power of retreating and I need to find smaller ways to do it. And I need to find ways that don't cause harm. Like, cause that's the last thing I want to do is like make someone else in my house anxious because I'm alleviating my anxiety. And I, and I think, you know, for me, the way that retreat shows up is booking, blocking whole days out of my, my calendar just for me to be alone. Like that, that's the way that I need to do it. And I, you know, I'm someone who, thrives on solitude I need my alone time I know I feel better and go back into the world better if I've had my alone time and so that means like some weekends I will be like right this Saturday is mine guys and I will go for me I'll go and walk in the woods for a very long time take like a load of food and a load of water and and go off and just walk and I need that I really need that I run some day retreats and I like it's whenever I launch one, I'll get like 20 people immediately messaging going, I'd love to, but not this time. And I always message back, like, this is not a sales thing, but if not now, when? Like when? Because I totally get your instinct to say, I can't, I can't now, but you've got to say yes at some point, not to me. Like, I don't like it. This is not about you giving me your money. Like, I don't, I don't care either way. That's fine. I'm fine. But when is your yes? When is your acceptance to that need that you're feeling that you're clearly feeling enough to message me about it? And I, I feel that back from you. Like I, we, we can exchange that need, that desire, but you have to, only you can give into that and, and can acknowledge how important it is to you to give into it. Mm. I mentioned earlier that I have five kids and they're mostly you lunch. really need a retreat most of the time. Listen, just never said anything truer in your life. I only have one left. My, my youngest is just wrapping up her junior year in high school. When all of our life kind of unraveled three years ago, we were all kind of just sunk. And she went to, I was throwing anything against the wall in this idea of yeah, retreat, just trying, trying stuff out, like, anything, 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 anything to like stop the drowning for her, I guess for me, but I felt secondary at the time. But so she went to a camp in Maine in the wilderness for almost four weeks. And it was, um, I've said it before, but I credit the, that place with almost a, saving her that the retreat nature of it, but she was so fragile when she went. And I said, okay, we'd never been to Maine. And I said, okay, listen, here's what's going to happen. 
this is not a month before it started. We were in desperate spaces. And I was like, I will go to Maine. Honey, I'll go to Maine. I'll figure out. I don't know anything about Maine. I'll find a place <laughs> to be in Maine. So that if you need me, yeah. I'll be an hour I'm away. Right there. I'll be there. Like, yeah. I'll be there if you need me. I needed to put that underneath mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. And so at the absolute last minute, I was like, where can I stay in Maine? I don't know. And <laughs> and of course, she was so returned to herself and restored. She didn't need me. But I spent almost four weeks in Maine and I started calling That's it, amazing. I called it me camp, like me That's camp so by myself. So like I, I traveled by myself. Yeah. I yeah. I went to restaurants by myself. I read books and in the Maine park. It's beautiful. I was there last summer. It's the most beautiful Where place. were you? I oh my god, you I don't remember any uh-huh, names like, of places. Yeah, I but went yeah, to Bar I was Harbor. By the sea anyway. Yeah, okay. me too. I was right on the ocean and it was so restorative. And again, I, I tell my community all the time, this is such an outlier story. Who can do this? I understand that's, that's that right, it's so, so, so rare. But it's so like, yes, yes, it is. The and, insight. And also it's it's a signpost, isn't it? Like it's a signpost for like how it could possibly be done. It was, it was. And, like, and if you can commit right. to that for a day or two, that's right. Like that will that will do something without a doubt. Yes, it without will. A doubt. That is the truth of it. That there is something restorative about the rest and the solitude for me. I'm also I'm an introvert and I crave aloneness. I've never, that's never bothered me. In fact, I, I need it. I love it. I love, I love, I love it so much. So much safe. <laughs> love to be but in my I house think, by myself. Like, yeah. Oh, I love it. But I also think sometimes you can retreat as a group, like as a family. Sometimes You're you just right. need to like cut that's yourself true. off from everybody else as well. Like that could, that can really point. help too. Great point. Like just pull off your family hamster wheel. Yeah. Like we're not going to do clubs. We're not going to do like, you know, we're going to say no to social events. We're not going to, you know, da, 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 da. And we're just going to spend a weekend in the house or away from the house, watching TV and eating popcorn and letting the world go by. And that's what we're going to all, we're going to co-soothe that way. Like, I think that can really work. Co-soothe. What a great term. Mm. One, one last question here, Catherine. I, I would just love any parting words from you on wintering in general, knowing for for sure, for sure, people listening are in it. They're in it. They're in the middle of it, whatever it is. What would you like them to hear or know for people that are in the season right now? So you're not alone. You, you feel very alone, but you're actually part of a massive community of other people who are going through the same thing as you but maybe for different reasons and there's this incredible bond between all of you that that might not be obvious but you can trust this space and you can trust your sadness it's telling you something and you don't have to run away from it you can be sad you can you can handle being sad what you can't handle is pretending not to be sad and being sad anyway And I like, I think the final thing I'd say is like, look for beauty in that space. And that's what my new book, Enchantment's about. It's like, reacquaint yourself with your gut feeling that leads you towards stuff that you find beautiful and fascinating and awe-inspiring. And 
let and and let yourself be comforted by those things because because the comfort will show itself to you and it's none of your business to deny that you <laughs> your responsibility is to be comforted where you can find it that's beautiful thank you okay everybody listen i will have links to absolutely everything Catherine has written <laughs> and done all the things, all things, Catherine, I will link for you so you don't have to go track them down, including your latest book, which is so beautiful and lovely. You've just given us so many tools for how to be a human, you know, how to be a human in this life. Sometimes it's hard to be a human. Yeah. And so it's the hardest thing. And so this is literally the last question. Everybody gets this. <laughs> every guest, every yep. series, this is the <laughs> sign off. And I would l- answer this however you want, Catherine. This can be earnest or it can be pickles. I mean, it, 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 we get it all and it can run the gamut. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. okay. I borrowed this question from a <laughs> from a, a an Episcopal priest that I love. And this is her question. What is saving your life right now? Oh, what is saving my life right now is walking. I am, I'm feeling the stress, like I've been doing lots of interviews and they're not all as high energy as this, you know, like with a lot of interviews, I have to give the energy and that is so depleting. And like, that's not true with you because you like come here and it's like really warm and lovely. But I realised I needed quite soon into that process is to walk every single day, even if I don't feel like I've got time. And that is that is my touchstone at the moment, just knowing that for half an hour, an hour, my feet are going to pound on the ground. And I I am in my head for a little while and my body is moving and there's something nice to look at. And I just really need that right now. It's like magic. Mm. It is like magic. It's the weirdest, most low hanging fruit. So to easy. Just, yeah. So easy. Just right back in your body. There you are. And you can keep going. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so much for your time no thank Thank you you. it's so fun thank you for everything i'm we're just cheering for you and (laughs) i'm really grateful to have met you so thank you again for being on the show all right you guys lovely right so lovely as mentioned, if you go over to jenhatmaker.com underneath the podcast tab, I will have this episode. I will have the link. I will have all the show notes. And then, of course, I will have links to everything Catherine related. And so you can find all of it in one spot. And I hope that at some point during the course of this conversation, you exhaled a little and felt your shoulders relax just a little. You're not alone if you are in a season of winter. And I so deeply believe that your life will turn green again. So I hope you have loved this series. If you've missed a single episode, go back and pick it up. And by the way, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the show. You'll never miss one. They'll just show up week after week, right into your little phone, wherever you listen to your podcast. And so this whole season has been just this lovely. And I hope that it's meant something to you because I have loved it. So starting next week, we are moving into a brand new series and it is fire. And you are not going to want to miss a single episode of that one either. So you guys, on behalf of 
Laura and the podcast crew and Amanda and I, we love you. See you next week.